you are listening to Get Your Sexy Back podcast with Kim Coffin, empowerment, sex, love, and relationship coach. My goal is to bring you uncensored healing and pleasurable wellness through sacred sexuality, sex positivity, and empowerment that feels good to your body. So as a collective, we can release shame, reclaim the places we've been most disempowered, reconnect to our body, remember who we are, and step into our unapologetic power basically breaking down the walls of our conditioning and the patriarchy together. My pussy is so excited that you are here. Let's drop into this week's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I have a beautiful guest with me today. We have Simone Paget, who's a Toronto Sun sex and relationship columnist. Super fun. We're going to dive into all things relationships, how she became a sex and relationship columnist, and all the things. She's also a host of We're Never Doing This Again podcast, a sex, um, a podcast about sex, dating, and all of those weird and wonderful, messy experiences. So yeah, hello, welcome. It's good to have you back. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So, so good. So let's start. Yeah, go ahead and tell us more about you. I just gave the brief rundown. Let's hear more about you, what you do, all the all the things. Yeah, so I've been the Toronto Sun sex and relationship columnist since 2013, so just over a decade now, and it's still kind of unreal because I, like, it's a total cliche, I started off watching Sex in, in the City when I was in university and realized, saw Carrie Bradshaw and realized that I could like it never even occurred to me that I could write about my experiences and I was already racking up lots of interesting dating and sex experiences. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And I got into personal blogging in the heyday of personal blogging and was able to kind of parlay that into writing for women's magazines and eventually becoming a columnist with a national newspaper, which was the dream. So uh, I feel really fortunate that I get to do what I love and still have fun with it. So yeah, yeah, and it's been a really interesting journey because it's followed like my own sort of sexual evolution because I started the column or started blogging about sex and dating when I was still in a long-term relationship and trying to sort through the wreckage of my 20s and that eventually like that relationship so yeah it's been it's been really interesting <laughs> mm -hmm. interesting choice of words the wreckage of my 20s do you want to dive yeah. in deeper what that looked like Ooh, um there was a lot of i i mean i came of age in like the shadow of like the aids epidemic so there was a, still a lot of like shame and fear attached to sex. I don't think I received or anyone like my age received education about the education that said you can have sex and be safe and enjoy yourself. It was kind of just like fear, 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 shame. Um, so there was a lot of that. Uh, I mean, I still had lots of fun experiences when I was younger, but there was still like that shame and fear attached to it. So I, yeah. So there was a lot of uh, also issues with consent because consent, I had a lot of confusing experiences where I didn't really 
understand what happened to me or like, because it didn't, it was, there was a lot of gray areas. But now in 2024, we're unpacking and understanding. So yeah, it just, I dated some real duds. (laughs) So there's also a lot of funny buried in like the trauma. So I just want to write about it and write about it like without shame and without fear. And I started putting out my stories and I think it's like that honesty and candor that allowed me to get picked up as a columnist because people really connect with vulnerability. And that's something that, yeah, I always try to infuse into my writing well. Also, alert, I learned that you have to keep boundaries. So I like to add a bit of vulnerability, just enough to let the person know, hey, I've been there as well. And then, you know, you have to keep some stuff private too. I learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two questions I have coming from that. Thank you for sharing. One is, um, and I don't know which one we're going to go to first. We'll see. But I want to know where and how this shame and fear being raised, you know, post AIDS pandemic and all of that going around, how that changed and affected your sexuality. Because obviously it did. I'm curious to go a little deeper there and see how. And I'm also curious to see what are the blogs or the articles that you've written that really have had like the most, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say kickback period because Either way, kickback's good, right? It's either it means it hits something. It doesn't mad matter if it's mm. a, a good or a bad, but it's it, it hits something in people. I want to know what they're responding the most to. So I want to hear both. Yeah. So I think the the so this is another thing. I have um obsessive compulsive disorder. <laughs> so I naturally am very afraid of diseases. So being raised in the 80s and 90s did not, you know, fare well for that, like fear of disease. And so I think that was like, I think I was less free than I wanted to be because there was so much fear and, and legitimate. Like I, there was a lot of people getting sick and, you know, being, an ally to like the, the LGBT community and now like part of it myself. Um, it was scary. Like it was just very scary. And I think that really held me back. Also just my, I wasn't really, um, my parents are very open-minded and very, you know, forward thinking, but at the same time, like my mom was raised Catholic and she did not have good such sex education or, experiences herself as a woman so she never had like anything good to say about sex sex was just kind of like this bad thing that was dangerous that you just didn't do so but at the same time I was very curious like I was a hardcore Madonna fan I was obsessed you know just like really really curious reading like Cosmo you know late at night that I'd borrow from the library and like just like trying to learn as much as possible because it really interested me. And I knew that at my core, I was a you know sexual being. So yeah, I think it held me back. I think, I mean, less so that I have still know people who are still in that place of like fear and shame. Um, I'm glad I moved through it. It also like, I think just the attitudes not related to disease, but related to just like societal expectations it held me back from like coming out as bisexual until like much later in life. 
because there was this kind of toxic uh, narrative that like, if you're bisexual, you're slutty. So then I was like, oh, well, if I'm slutty, I'm also in danger. So I can't be like two of those things. So Mm. yeah, so that, you know, that took a lot longer to just have the courage to like not give a fuck basically, but Mm -hmm. what other people think and realize that like, no, you can have queer relationships. It doesn't mean anything about your morality and it doesn't even being there's nothing wrong with being slutty if that is what you want to do like it's so it was just sort of a slutty term is is just interesting right like yeah you know it's used to throw us down and put us down and yet to be slutty is is somebody to to really just be into their pleasure and to be um what's the word like un um unapologetic in their pleasure right to be in their pleasure. And yeah. there's actually nothing wrong with somebody actually being able to be present, be in the moment and be yeah. in their pleasure. But amazingly, we've made it a very bad term that every yeah. young girl is afraid to be called. Yeah. And I think the conditioning around slutty, whore, ho, all of these mm-hmm. words that are thrown at us, sometimes as early as grade seven and eight. I'd say younger. Sometimes younger nowadays, I'd I say think like- too. For me, it was like grade five or six. It started to come up. Yeah. Isn't that interesting that starting that young, so we're talking like 10, 11-ish, right? We're that afraid to be thrown in that category. Yeah. Like, here am I hurt wording on that in yeah. that category, <laughs> right? Like, and that's still in there. We and, Yeah. And it's actually mainly, which is interesting, women. Yeah. It's very yeah, gendered. I was going to say, like, it ties in with the patriarchy and controlling women and that uh, there's a a writer that I really like. Her her pen name was Corrine Steffens. She was like, became very notorious and famous for writing a book that exposed um, her experiences as like a, a video dancer in hip hop music mm-hmm. videos. And she has like, she says, like, why am I a slut when there's two people involved in this interaction? Yeah. Like, how is it but that, it was, like, yeah. Keep going. How is it that? You know, just like that is like a double, it's a complete double standard. And yeah. men can say that you're slutty, but then they're doing it too with you. So, and yet yeah. they're not. Yeah. But I was actually talking more about even. The girls were the ones that were throwing the slut in the oh, yeah. names at a yeah, lot of the yeah, other girls, true. which I think is almost like a deflection of like, I yeah. don't want to be that. So I better be the one making sure I'm deflecting yeah. and making sure they are the slutty or or whores or hoes, yeah. or whatever we're going to call them. Because if any of that attention comes back onto me, that's not safe, right? So it's yeah. really hurtful. Um, you know, I know of of myself and of friends who, you know, weren't even being promiscuous or even playing at all at that age and yet still called slots and whores. And it became like such a a really hurtful word that you're like, you're hurt that you were even called yeah. that because it wasn't true in any of the words of the sense. And at the same time, somebody who's enjoying their pleasure is also not a bad thing. Yeah. And I find it really messed up that like in my experience, yes, it was the girl's calling other girls sluts but it was also like the girls who developed first who got targeted Mm -hmm. the most 
It had mm-hmm. nothing to do with actual behavior. But then sometimes like it did become a self-fulfilling prophecy for some of these girls. Cause it's like, well, if you're going to call me that already, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, flirt with boys or whatever. Like the, the, the criteria for being a slut in grade six was so. Was, you had boobs. If you had boobs, <laughs> you were a slut. And it's just, it didn't make sense. And it yeah. created so much harm and yeah. so much trauma to women's psyches. Because if you look at yeah. these women going into their 20s and 30s, it creates body shame. It creates shutdown. Yeah. It creates disconnection. They're actually not even able to tap into their pleasure generally when I talk to many women at this these phases because they've shut down and disconnected so many times over and over and over yeah. and over for over 20 years that all of a sudden they don't even know what it is like to experience pleasure in their body. They're numb. They experience pain. They're, the shame and the trauma, even from being called a slut or being afraid of being called a slut, is real. It is yeah. really real. And it creates quite a, a contraction in our body that I see showing up over and over in women going into their 30s and 40s. Um, it's still there. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really glad I've been able to shed some of that because it is so freeing to just not mm-hmm. care. It's, it's just a word that somebody's trying to control you with and it's not right and it's not accurate. And, you know, it's the same yeah. as I use pussy a lot and, and reclamation of, of healing and reclaiming pussy and our body parts and our pleasure and all of this, which includes in reclaiming sex and our whore yeah. and, and all of those yummy pieces. One of my really good friends and, and um, colleagues owns um, sex, uh, sex, no, she's a sex coach too, like me, but she owns witch bitch whore as well. Oh, so we're okay. reclaiming those words, it's the same thing. It's it's our inner bitch. It is our boundary setting. It's our inner witch, our intuitive oracle between our thighs, connection, and our whore, which is tapping into our true sacred pleasure and feeling pleasure and expanding and becoming alive through all of this. And these are all words that have been thrown at women for thousands yeah. of years and um, to put us in our place, to keep us small, to put us where we belong. And that's yeah. the good words, not my words. And it's, um, yeah, it makes a really big difference when we are raised with, uh, and most of us were with that conditioning circling around our sexuality and then to actually get to an age where it's like, you know what, let's reclaim these. These are, these are not going to hold me back anymore from actually being who I am, unapologetically yeah. who I am. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a process. Like it took me to, you know, my thirties late thirties to really fully, because once I started embracing my sexuality and I went, I kind of swung in the opposite direction of just being like, I'm just going to have like a buffet of, you know, of men to, because I was in a relationship for, you know, half of my twenties and part of my thirties, I was like, I'm just going to see what's out there and, you know, literally fuck around and find out and I definitely had some like unsatisfying encounters, but like, uh, yeah, it was even then, like, you know, having men be like, oh, like feel like kind of trying to shame me. Um, it was like having to work through that and come out the other side and be like, no, I can, it doesn't matter, you know, if I'm not hurting anybody and like, obviously I should not be engaging with people who do shame and 
I think part of that like ties in with my writing as well in that I started to be in more sex positive spaces and being around people who don't, you know, have that, you know, conditioning and yeah. yeah. The men for sure have been hurt by, by the shaming and yeah. conditioning too. And, and men haven't been taught about their bodies properly either and no. how to really experience pleasure or how to pleasure a female partner. And, and women on their own haven't been taught on how to tap into their own pleasure and, and explore what feels good and, and then ask for what they need in the bedroom and set boundaries for what they need in the bedroom mm -hmm. and, and, and literally find their yeses or nos. So it can be really, really tricky for all genders to show up in this hidden taboo area that we call sex, where is mm -hmm. the deepest connecting and deepest level of intimacy that we can have with another human being. It's been shamed and condemned and not actually informed. We don't have proper knowledge around it. So all of a yeah. sudden, we're literally the blind leading the blind. And yeah. it can cause a lot of turmoil in the bedroom, and it can create more trauma, a lot more trauma that none of us need to experience. It's really, really, it's not working. Something needs no. to change. Yeah, I agree because like, I see it when... Um, like from people who write me notes and emails from reading my column to talking to friends to like my own experiences where, yeah, it's just, um, I think I've, when I was in like a long-term relationship, like one of the issues that came up a lot was like the idea of consent. Like there's that, there's like this, um, idea that you know if you're with someone that it's like consent to everything mm. and that you know you can i've had a lot of pushback from male partners who when you say i don't want i'm not in the mood like i don't want to do that right now then it turns into this like oh you're rejecting me oh you're you're frigid and like see so you can't win um yeah, that's and, their own little inner child wound of being rejected, coming out and lashing out to get some attention. But it's actually yeah. not yours to own, it's theirs. Yeah, and yeah, I've just found that hard to navigate and a huge turnoff when someone, when I put up a boundary and someone doesn't respect it, like that's a huge, or pushes on it, like tries to push back on it. Like that's a huge, yeah. like red flag, huge turn off. Walk away, walk away. Not just turn off, like walk away. Yeah. Because if they don't respect your boundaries there, they're not going to respect your boundaries anywhere else. Exactly. Most likely. <laughs> yeah. No, it's just a, it's a red flag across the board. So um, it's a see you later. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I want to hear what are the stories that you write about that everybody wants you know, causes some uproar that they're like, yes or no, that they're stirring. What's stirring people out there when you're writing? Okay. So the ones that really seem to get people angry or like rattled and by people, I mean, men, um, cisgendered men is, um, when I write about relationships and, or dating and money, that seems to be something that just people just get really like, and and of also course. like women we with like we just touched on the whore getting paid of what they classify as whore right getting paid mixing money with sex and all of a sudden that's not acceptable um yeah and yet yeah i won't dive into that that's a whole other can <laughs> of worms we could play with 
Yeah. No, I'm I just, like, um, yeah. I, I wrote a piece like a few years ago where I said, you know, like both if you're if you're going to be dating, like both parties need to take responsibility for like, I, I don't think as a a woman, you should go on a date if you don't have enough money to pay for your meal if you want to and get home safely. Like those should be, you know, and men like it's the same thing. Like if you cannot afford to actually go on a date, you should not be dating. And that's like for whatever gender. It's just like. I, I used an example of an experience where someone was like, oh, I can't afford to buy your drink. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But also like, if you can't afford to, I very like clear views on this, regardless of gender, if you can't afford to treat the other person, it might mean that you have other priorities that need to be addressed in your like, you know, like hierarchy, basic hierarchy of needs. Of needs. Yeah, yeah. Basic like, maybe, hierarchy of needs aren't met. You shouldn't be dating because you're actually emotionally not even fully available to connect with somebody on that level because no. your basic needs aren't met. Yeah. So that's the, that was like the gist of it. And I like, it's different for like young people who are like, you know, students or whatever, like when you're a broke student and like, you know, you can still connect, but if you're an adult and you, you can, cannot afford to do certain things that are, you know, rather simple um yeah you need to focus on other areas of your life and like really get that good foundation so that like you're taking care of your own needs you are stable and only when you can take care of yourself can you like give something to someone else so but that just yeah. like yeah i'm curious rattles. did that to that person who you were on a date with um were they like they went over their budget and couldn't afford a drink or literally just couldn't afford a drink even. You know what I mean? Like, because some people might be like, hey, I'm at my budget for the week. I already hit my $100 and that's all I'll allow myself to spend. Yeah. And that's just them being really in line with their budget. Uh, no, it was, we were getting ready. I was getting ready to go meet the person and they messaged me and they they said, um, just as an FYI, I can't afford to buy your drink tonight. Okay. So like even one starting drink. And yeah. I and then he was like, Well, I hope you don't I really hope you don't cancel because my guinea pig just died and I really need this. And Oof. I was like, Well, wait, like, so if I cancel right now, because like for me it was sending red flags. I'm like, it's there's just so many weird. red flags in there. <laughs> I was like, there's it it was like yeah. I'm not your therapist. No. Yeah. And then it's like, well, at the time, like I still harbored guilt of like now if that happened to me, I'd be like, you know what? I just don't think this is going to work. But then he's like, I was like, oh, no, if I cancel on him, he'll think I'm I'm the bad guy, which is so <sighs> manipulative. He so already going, was in his text. Yeah. I ended up going on this terrible date that was just really odd and weird. Um, oh, my gosh, you learn. went? You went? Yeah, because <laughs> because this was old me where I yes. didn't have, and I was, I mean, I have a good story from it, but, you know, now I'd be like, oh my God, no, like, that's just, mm -hmm. there's just so many, like, yeah. there's so and many that ties layers. right into good girl conditioning of, oh my gosh, yes. uh, who, I got to take care of this person. Who am I to let them down now? I'm in. Maybe I'll buy them a drink, make them feel like, oh my gosh. But that's, yeah, that is where 
we feed into good girl conditioning, right? And it's like, that is not our responsibility. But we, many of us have been raised to, again, do exactly that. Yeah. The only time I've had a really positive experience when that happened was um, when I was dating someone very briefly, like in like a small town in Mexico, where I was like, do you want to go get something to eat? And he's like, I literally cannot afford any of these restaurants as a tourist or as a local. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's a reality. I was like, I will gladly take you out for a meal because yeah, it's different. Yeah. I was like, that is totally okay. Because for me, it's no big deal, but it wasn't like that kind of, it wasn't a situation where, you know, like we were very economically unequal in that I was, had a lot more power. And I was like, I, I would love to treat you. You've been like super kind to me and, you know, so yeah, that was different, but yeah, in North America, it, if you, yeah. <laughs> if someone ever sends me a message like that again, I'm like, I, I'm out. Go take you know. care of yourself first. <laughs> Go take care of yourself. Get your needs met. Then get yeah. ready for dating. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. And then the other articles that always get a lot of like positive feedback are the ones where I talk about clothing optional resorts. Because people are super curious and they really want to know more and uh, what's that, what that's like. So I I get a lot of emails where I'm like, okay, so I'm kind of a travel agent now, but. <laughs> okay. So are there some top resorts across Canada that you recommend? I've never been to any in Canada, um, okay. but I've been to a bunch in Mexico and Jamaica. So Okay, so more I, the the vacation resorts. Yeah, I'm sure there's some some clothing optional retreats in yeah, Canada. A handful, handful in Ontario yeah. that I already know of. Some are resorts, oh, okay. some are retreats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but okay. I wasn't sure if you investigated those yet. No, I like the tropical weather. If I'm going to be, you know, not wearing a whole lot of clothes. So. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I think most people are afraid that there's going to just be like a big, huge orgy by the pool. I mean, I've seen that. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. But they're like, there's going to be pressure, right? Yeah. And- no, like I found, um, so I kind of like, I, I've been to um, all of the original group properties in Mexico. So um, Temptation and Desire. I've been to those. I went to their property in the Dominican Republic just before Christmas that unfortunately had to close. Um, it was new and it didn't really take off the way it was supposed to. And then I've been to um, hedonism in Jamaica, which definitely is, that was like the most crazy of the sort of spectrum in that, yes, you will see an orgy by the pool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I found like, reg- like regardless there's no pressure to participate in activities that you're not comfortable with. What's really refreshing is when you go to these kinds of properties is that it is very consent driven. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you know, it's very, you have to actually sign like a, a form when you check in saying that you'll abide by the behavioral policy. And that means, you know, always ask before you touch. And mm-hmm. if you violate that, yeah, if you violate that, you will be removed. removed which is yeah. good. Which is yeah. good. 
And, you know, for anybody listening, depending where you are on your sexual healing journey, you know, right in the beginning or even in the middle may not be the time to go and visit some of these resorts. You need to actually process your trauma and really reclaim, I think, your sexuality before you can even go and play. Like even now, I would choose to only go to one of those resorts or one of those retreats if there was actually awake and conscious people who have done their own work. I do not want to mingle with um, people who have done their own work who could be like, sure, we can all be triggered at any moment from something major, but there's a lot of people who just don't have the basic nervous system regulation around their sexuality. And when you bring in alcohol and a lot of other things get involved, it's not conscious. You're actually not consciously connecting anymore. So a lot of the stuff I choose is alcohol and substance free, where we're all doing tantric practices and consents huge, of course, too. But there's a very more conscious and awake and present and substance free environment where you're keeping your senses because alcohol, many people will just go nervous as all get out and drink a ton until they have no cares in the world. And that is actually still causing trauma to their own bodies. It is not helping them. Yeah, so, no, that's a good point because like, when I started visiting these properties, I was already felt, you know, I was at a point in my journey where I felt good about my body. But it was, for me, I think it was actually empowering because yes, there's a lot of alcohol, but the culture there is like people kind of police each other. So being able to go into a space and say, someone be like, I'm really attracted. I think you're really attractive. Do you want to go play? And for me to be able to say yes or no. Yeah, because some people can't even say no. Many women have a really hard time saying no because they were asked and like, should I say yes? Right? So again, some work that has to be done before. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm coming from from a different perspective in that like I'd reached a point where I could say no, yes or no to my own desires. So yeah, that's a, definitely something to keep in mind. But if you're at that point and you're just like want to experience something new, I mean, it is it is a interesting experience. And I would start with something like I started by going to Temptation, which is topless optional. It's not fully nude. You can wear a bikini if you want. There's no pressure to be, you know, it's... It's kind of a good way like to sort of feel out the scene and see if even if you feel comfortable, um, it's not like a full on like people, you know, doing stuff by the pool. Like it's kind of it's it's kind of just, yeah, it's it's sexy, but it's not like sexual. So and yeah. what's the next one? I would say the next one. I mean, there's desire, which is for couples. Mm-hmm. So you have a, also a different vibe there in that it's couples who've come and some of them are th- just there to be nude and enjoy themselves. Some are there to play with others. But yeah, it's a, uh, I didn't feel like there was pressure to do anything. Um, there's also hedonism, which is for sing like for whoever, but you Singles really have couples. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be like, if you're still processing like shame or um, uh, you're going to be like, there's, there's Long stuff there. Open. <laughs> you have to be very open. Like there's stuff there that I'll no. never unsee. Like, 
Fair enough. So yeah, just it's going to blow your nervous system open. If you haven't done yeah. a lot of that work around your sexuality, it, it would like fry you. Yeah. I, it's more for like, yeah, it's, I mean, the names I think give a hint of like what the, what the resort's about. Um, I always say like start at like a place like temptation where it's kind of like, it's kind of silly. Some people are topless. Like some people are not like it's, everyone's welcome no one's really you know you could kind of like you you can uh make the experience whatever you want it to be but yeah if you're not if you don't feel comfortable yet um then yeah you want to go somewhere where it feels more substance free and like and easy to regulate mm-hmm mm-hmm. and my experience just to kind of top off on that and then we'll we'll head off but um some of the more regulated co-ed tantric retreats, you know, mm-hmm. it's op- op- optional nudity, but again, everything is consent-based. And there's been lots in Ontario. There's the Toronto Tantra Festival, which happens every September, not in Toronto, but actually up north in Bancroft, which is so fun. Yeah. I love it. Um, and it's a very, some people say clothed the whole weekend, right? There's a long yeah. weekend. And they're just getting a feel for it. And that's a more safe, more trauma-aware, more consent-based open yeah. option. And actually, I'm going to be, I have done uh, online tantric weekend retreats for couples oh, okay. the last few years. But uh, very soon, I think I'm going to start offering in-person tantric retreats for couples, yeah. which again, is the couple working with the couple kind of thing. And yeah. they get to work together to learn how to increase intimacy and connection and practice tantra together and just really deepen their connection, which... yeah. It would be, you know, be some clothing optional as well, but just it's really good to just drop in and make sure you're finding a, a level and a safe container and a safe space where you do feel comfortable. So you're not blowing your nervous system because you never know. And once you do that, it, it takes a little re-regulating to get back. It can be a lot. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I think that's really great advice. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell everybody before we sign off here where they can find you a little bit more yeah. about you. So um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter, which is now X, which I don't really use that much, but I'm on there. Um, it's uh, Simone underscore Paget on all platforms. I also have a podcast called We're Never Doing This Again, where we talk about all this kind of stuff about dating and sex and Triple shame. Styling. Yeah, <laughs> pets dying before a date, uh, weird stories. And that's available wherever you can find podcasts. And if you want to read my writing, I have a Toronto Sun column called The Sex Files. And I also have a substack called Love, Peace, and Tacos, which is all about, um, it kind of brings together my various things I write about, which is, you know, travel, pleasure, food, and yeah, personal exploration. So Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So welcome. Until next time, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you've got a juicy nugget or two, scroll down on whatever app you're listening to and leave a five-star rating and review. I invite you to follow me, join the conversation, the weekly lives, and a lot of other amazing free content in my private Facebook group. Let's get your sexy back. You can also friend me personally on Facebook, Kim Coffin, and follow me on Instagram at Get Your Sexy Back Coach. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, don't be shy. Reach out. I'd love to connect with you. 